Well, do you want me to take my hearing aids out? I'm not echoing on your end anymore. And but so I don't hear you as well. Well, turn turn the volume up on your computer. Well, that's true too, because I had turned that puppy down. Okay. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Oh, well, I'm just glad we figured that out because that was driving me insane. Gotta love those jazzy shimmers. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Your On Mute with Pastor Elise and Pastor Mary. Hi, um, everybody. Hey, I think we've got uh, a little jump in our listenership now that we are on Apple Podcast, Google Music, Amazon Music, Spotify. We are on Woo! the big four, finally, and I've waited a long time to be able to say please rate, review, and subscribe. It would really help us with our listener numbers and get us up on those charts, people. Um, What do we have? Do we have four regular listeners now? I think we're up to five regular listeners, people. Hot diggity. Hot diggity dang. And they all let us know when they're listening, which is awesome. I know. Um, Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. Thanks for letting us know y'all and, and keep listening and keep getting other people to listen. I, I always tell people like, yeah, we, we talk about church stuff, but I think it's pretty applicable, um, across the board. And, and I will say, uh, I am, I am humbled and, um, and truly, truly blessed to be hosting this podcast with the very popular Mary oh, yeah. Anderson. Mary is getting a real fan following out there. People. <laughs> What is that? Three people? <laughs> I mean, I am constantly uh, re- replying to messages on how cool my mom is. And, oh, uh, she and who has so, never been cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it only took 60 some odd years, people. But Mary Anderson mm, is cool. I finally made it. You finally made it, mom. <laughs> Congrats. But uh, no, lots of folks have been uh, have been letting us know that they're listening. And um, we appreciate that very much. So yeah, thanks, uh, everybody. Thanks, everybody. It's always always good to know that um, we're not just talking to ourselves, even though that's really how this podcast came into being. We were like, we should record these conversations. Um, So um, anyway, but speaking of applicable topics to everyone's life, not just church, Mom, why don't you tell the dozens of people here to listen to us, <laughs> listen right. to us talk. Um, what are we talking about today? Well, I thought it might be helpful for us to talk about, um, and this is a very general category, and that is how to deal with difficult people. Ooh. Now, whew, um, you know, those who are in church work often could probably make a list of here are the difficult people. <laughs> <laughs> in my congregation. And trust me, those difficult people have you on their list of difficult people. <laughs> That's right. So uh, nobody's uh, calling out anybody else because in, just like uh, in some ways, we're all quirky. In some ways, we're all difficult. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, it's not like it's not like there's this little um species of people labeled difficult. Um, so all of us, all of us get, get uh, a chance to do that. 
But whether you are, um, you know, uh, a teacher in a school, a pastor in a congregation, um, a deacon at a social ministry site, all of us, or just live in a family, um, (laughs) everybody has to deal with either people who are mostly difficult or people who are having a difficult time. And nice distinction. And so, um, and especially these days, I think, um, where, you know, we're just talking constantly about how polarized we all are and how, um, how we can't have real conversations with people because if we, you know, disagree, terrible things are going to be said, mm-hmm. you know, the nightly news that shows, you know, a couple of people on an airplane beating each other up over something yeah. and just unimaginable. And mm-hmm. so it almost feels like we all need to have some stuff in our toolboxes for yeah. um, how to how to deal with these kind of situations. So that's what I was thinking, yeah. Ali. Yeah, yeah. Some some de-escalation training, if you will. Oh yeah. Um, for the for the for the difficult for the difficult mm-hmm. people or the difficult moments um, in mm-hmm. our lives, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think um, you know the the church universal, or as I like to say, the church big C. Um, mm-hmm. It is definitely uh, an interesting snapshot of kind of our communities and our and our population, and so you you really do get um, kind of the <laughs> the whole spectrum of of human difficult uh, in, yes, in congregations. You, you know, you've got the folks. Um, you know, I was thinking before. Uh, before we got started, as I was kind of thinking about our topic and and chatting today of kind of who are the difficult people for me? And, you know, I, I kind of realized that there's kind of different kinds of difficult, right? You know, right. I mean, there's, sure. there's people that I just flat out don't agree with politically or on certain social justice issues. And so mm-hmm. navigating their wants and needs at the church with what I feel like I should be guiding people through is very difficult. Um, there are people who, um, you just kind of don't feel like hanging around with, you know, being being in their presence is difficult, Uh right? So it's not necessarily that they're grinding your gears. It's just like, what am I supposed to talk to this person about? Or like, God, this, this person is so creepy, like, why are they the only one that shows up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or like, you know, or just kind of like, you know, even, even something, you know, that you're willing to do the difficulties you're willing to, to jump through. Like, you know, I pushed really hard for there to be, you know, some younger folks on our church council this year. And I thought that the diversity in age was important and, you know, we got that, but we also got for three of them. No more than that, you know, about half of their, their parents. And so now there's this difficulty of, well, now we need childcare at our, at our council events, which I'm, I'm all about. I think it's amazing, but it does add a layer of difficulty to, to kind of navigate those things. You know, you can't just kind of call a meeting whenever you want, because everyone on council is retired, you know, (laughs) it's like, we gotta, we gotta kind of uh, work with everybody. But that's a good well, kind of difficult. You yeah. Know, difficult well, I guess the per, I guess the the category of folks 
that I that I am thinking about are people that are just kind of curmudgeons, right? So mm. it's not that they just have a bad day. Yeah. They're just they just always go to the negative. Mm. And um and those to me are um difficult people to be around. You know, they're the people that just um you know, it's kind of walk around with what looks like a sad face. Mm-hmm. Um, they find the downside to just about everything that gets suggested. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel these days, like I do pretty well handling curmudgeons. And so, mm-hmm. um, because those are often folks who are just like, uh, you know, so he's such a Debbie Downer, you yeah. know, I really... <laughs> And, and nothing you say ever seems to be the right thing and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I, I've discovered that, you know, one thing that helps is kind of calling it out. And I don't know if it's because you know I'm kind of the age of a lot of the curmudgeons, maybe, although you can be <laughs> any age. That's right. But it is it is a characteristic that um, I think is a descriptor often of older men. Yeah. I mean, the classic like Clint Eastwood, get off my lawn, you know, Gran Torino kind of, kind of vibe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The get off my lawn kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And so he's that neighbor. He's that guy on church council. Um, You know, maybe he's even your boss at work. (laughs) <laughs> and so I tell you, um, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I discovered one of my favorite books of all time, which is A Man Called Ove, oh, um, or I yeah. say Ovi sometimes. And yeah. uh, it's a Swedish novel. And to me, it's such a wonderful uh, story about Ove, who is your classic curmudgeon. Mm-hmm. And it really helps you. I, so I recommend it because it's just a great book anyway, yes, but it can really, really help you get into the head of folks that, that come off that way. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you learn is that, you know, he, he sort of has a life story that has made him that way. Right. So he's had, he's had some tragedy. He's tried to figure out how to live with it. Um, but what, but the way he comes across is he just doesn't seem to like anybody or anything. Yeah. Um, very opinionated, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, as a pastor now, I've tried to um, figure out some ways to call that out. And I'll use a, I have one kind of bigger story that I'd like to share, but a smaller one is, you know, sometimes there's a person or a couple of people that every time a certain subject comes up, say something like uh, the pastor's um, uh, uh, reimbursement for mileage. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. You know, it's in, (laughs) it's in the budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shouldn't be an issue, but -hmm. you notice that every time it comes up in some way that it's like the church treasurer's hair catches on fire. (laughs) and so (laughs) you know like every single time and so we have to pay this again yes exactly (laughs) 
or there's some big question about it or just a grumpy look on the face or whatever it might be. So, you know, I'm okay at age almost 66 <laughs> to, <laughs> to just go up to these guys and say, hey, come into my office a second. They come and they sit down and I say, I've just noticed that every time the pastor's mileage reimbursement is mentioned, that your hair catches on fire. What is that about? What's your deal, man? Right. And there's always a story. Mm-hmm. And so they can tell you about, you know, the pastor who um, wrote down his mileage at the beginning of the month, you know, his odometer reading. And then at the end of the month, wrote down his odometer reading. Mm-hmm. And ask for reimbursement from the church for that entire amount. Yeah. You know, with no details about I went to go see Miss Margaret and that was six miles. And then I went to the mm-hmm. hospital on this day and that was 12 miles. It says you're paying for this guy's trip to the grocery store, maybe a trip to the mountains. You have no idea. Yeah. And so you're like, okay. So you hear the story and you're like, that's why his hair catches on fire. He is still <laughs> mad about that. Yeah. And, and all you can do is say, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's wrong. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not what this line item is about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes all you can do is just apologize. And so you've had the conversation. And then what happens is the next time that this comes up, say, in an executive team meeting or something like that, and pastor's mileage comes up, and all you have to do is meet eyes with that guy. And <laughs> he, yeah, and and suddenly it's this little inside joke. Yeah. Instead of, instead of his hair catching on fire. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you have, you know, you ha- having watched you pastor my whole life, it, it is it is very impressive, especially with kind of the older guys, you know, how well you can kind of navigate their little temper tantrums. Cause it's a very, mm-hmm. I, I noticed too, you know, so many times, especially in, in the church world, but I think also in general, when, when an older man, especially when, when, um, if his partner dies, you know, and he becomes a mm-hmm. widower, you know, I feel like kind of one or one of two things happen you know, they either completely soften up because they feel like they have to take the role that their wife had. I mean, we kind of saw that with Gaffer, right? When mm-hmm. my, my dad's dad, my grandpa, my paternal grandpa, when, when Gammer died, Gaffer was like, all right, I got to step my grandpa game up, you know, because now it was on him to write the birthday cards and it was on him right. to, to entertain us when we came up to the cabin and all those things. And so we kind of saw, at least from the, from a grandkid's perspective, mm-hmm. kind of saw a little, kind of saw a little bit of a shift in him, you know, or it goes the other way where life is just so miserable without their person. And that's what happens in the, in the, in the, um, the book, a man called Ova. And I only mm-hmm. know that cause I, I listened to the audio book. So a Swedish guy was reading it. And so apparently it's Ova, but um, you know, that's what happened to him is his wife died and, mm-hmm. and now suddenly life just stopped. He just Sucks. didn't want to 
(laughs) life just started to suck and his reason for, for living and his reason for, for, you know, um, getting around was gone. And so Mm -hmm. I, I see that a lot in, in some of my older guys at my congregation who are widowers, you know, no matter how much time has passed, whenever they have a sad look on their face, you know, mm-hmm. I always kind of ask like, Hey, you know, how are you doing today? And, and if they're, if we've built that relationship nine times out of 10, their answer is, Oh, well, it's Gert, it's Gerda's birthday today. Or, oh, you yeah. know, it's, it's been 10 years since I lost my Linda, you know, and you just kind of hear that kind of stuff, you know, constantly. And so, you know, I think, I think you're, you're totally right in terms of, I mean, the older generations in, in general, not that younger people can't carry a lot of trauma and emotional uh-huh. baggage, but it's like a lifetime of stuff that all of a sudden, especially once you retire, you have a lot of time to think about and process yes, <laughs> and, 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 and be kind of mad about, um, you know, and so, yeah, you do kind of see um, this shift, but you know, it, it is interesting, especially the men of kind of the, the greatest generation or, or now, you know, I kind of, I think sometimes when we think of older guys, I think of it in terms of what wars could they have fought in, right? What's their mm-hmm. age group? So are you a world war two guy? Most world war two guys are gone. Just you about know, there's, there's like a sprinkling of, of, of Korean war yeah. guys. Now, most of our older vets are guys who fought in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Who are not called the greatest generation. No, they are not. No. Well, I mean, I know that I, when I said, no, 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 but I'm saying, I'm saying that's something that they carry around, which is, oh yeah. They were the war. Nobody cared about. Right. Or the war. They didn't get a hero's welcome. Yeah. The war that, that shifted America's perception of its military. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, I think, you know, service people overall and in general were always seen as these heroic figures and then vietnam was the first time war was shown on tv and Mm -hmm. and people people realized you know kind of what these folks were up against and some of the terrible things some people did and um whether it was because their back was against the wall and you know they felt they didn't have a choice or because they just were being bad people because they could um but yeah they were the ones that were threatened and and yelled at when they got home. And so, I mean, that, that generation in general, mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the trauma um, that they have to carry is, is pretty great as well. And it was the first, the first time that America just flat out lost, mm-hmm. like we were not the conquering hero that came in and, and saved the world and saved democracy, you know, just kind of all fizzled out. But anyway, we ain't here to talk about military history, but That's I right. think, I think it is kind of an interesting perspective to have um, on kind of sometimes if you're a difficult person is your, your old guy kind of asking mm-hmm. like, why does that bug you? You know, <laughs> like kind of what's yeah. the story here? Well, cause a lot of it is about, um, you know, as we would say, pastoral care issues where you yeah. spend some time with somebody saying, you know, tell me your story. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's a very intimate thing to do. And a lot of pastors have heard people start to tell their stories with the words, I really have not told this many people this, but um, they're holding they're holding a lot of it um, inside. And, you know, giving somebody time, um, most people, you know, 99% of us, I guess, we just really want to be known. 
for people to spend some time with us, mm-hmm. um, to listen to our stories and to be interested in them. Right? <laughs> we were laughing earlier about how that's kind of a definition of therapy, you know, paying someone yeah. to be interested in you. Which is why which, I like it so much. <laughs> I know. Which means that for the most part, you might not be getting that. You might be very lonely and nobody ever listens mm-hmm. to your stories or, yeah. um, or what have you. Um, which is the downside of your spouse passing away too. You don't have that person to bounce things off of. And so I guess mm-hmm. I would just encourage all of us that if somebody is that kind of personality, and here again, you and I, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists or we're sort of religious sociologists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, we've, I think that's its own kind of category. You learn mm-hmm. a lot of stuff about people. Um, when you do pastoring work, you know, as a, as a professional, we tend to spend more time with people than any other professional is going to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. doctor's not going to sit and listen to you for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, talk about everything under the sun, right? They, right. It's just right. not the way it works. Um, and mm-hmm. they're not going to come see you in your home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or just call you up to say, Hey, I didn't see you on Sunday. You okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that little stuff is just really so very, very important. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's why the COVID shutdown, you know, was such a hard hit on pastors uh-huh. and, and people in, in these ministries, because, you know, 95% of our job is relationship building and spending uh-huh. time with people whether that's through administrative work or through worship or through hospital visits, I'm a self-proclaimed terrible pop-in visit person. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, I know for a fact that my, my pastoral care style is not what my like 65 and up folks expect. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm more likely to text or call or, or set up a visit than, than, you know, just roll up on your house or your hospital room. But it really did cause some serious disconnection. I mean, I know so many people, I mean, we've been reopened for a while now, but there Uh are still some people just now trickling back in. And, you know, we had a big leadership event where we were kind of looking at our ministries for the next year and kind of what we wanted to do and kind of setting some goals. And the number one goal that both our church council and our, our ministry leaders came up with was we just want to spend time together. Like oh, we, yeah. ju- we just, we want to be together again. And so, you know, not only is that it's very sweet and I think it is kind of what we need as a society, uh-huh. but we're going to be reminded who the difficult folks are, <laughs> you know, again, we're going to have, we're going to want to get together to too. Of, exactly. They want to be there too. And, and, you know, and I think difficult people in general, we're getting different, uh, different definitions of that now too. I mean, my generation considers, well, kind of calls a difficult person, a Karen, right? Like, don't be such a Karen and uh, apologies to everyone named Karen out there. We know you're not all bad, Um, (laughs) but it's, it's. So so define that a little bit more, Elise. Like, so if you call someone a Karen, um, what kind of characteristics would that be like? Like what kind of behavior would somebody exhibit for you to say, Oh, she's you're a Karen. Yeah, you're being such a Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, from my perspective and, and people could have different, diff, 
different sure. uh, definitions. But from what I can tell and what I would consider a Karen is it's typically a middle-aged white woman. You know, yeah, the, the physical appearance can sometimes be a little bit gaudy or, you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you would typically maybe associate them politically with like a Trump supporter. Right. Um, but it could be really any political, political belief, but mostly it's someone that is very entitled, someone who is intentionally kind of making things difficult, like, you know, kind of the classic Karen line is let me speak to your manager, right? Um, is kind of what you hear a lot. And so, you know, someone who says like, oh God, look at this Karen is usually, you know, pointing out someone who is giving the waiter or waitress a hard time or, you know, holding up the checkout line at Target because they didn't get the sale that they wanted or thought Mm -hmm. that they should get, or they're trying to, they're trying to push through their expired coupon or something like that, you know? (laughs) So yeah, without, without any regard to the fact that there are 10 people in line behind them. Exactly. Yeah. Just like no regard to anyone, but themselves, the world revolves around them. Um, you know, and, and, uh, so there can be many Karens, but, um, but primarily I think, uh, if you're going to put Karen in a box, it's typically a middle-aged white woman, Republican, racist, um, Mm -hmm. entitled Blonde blonde highlights, blonde highlights. Um, and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and yeah, just no regard for, for other people or what they might be. And I would say lacking in empathy, would be yeah. a big, a big Karen trait, um, for sure for that, for that little stereotype. You well, know, I'm if, not if, even, I'm not even sure that the prescription that I just gave for, um, difficult people would even apply to them. I mean, like, you know, I don't know that they want people to listen to their story. Or... <laughs> no, typically not, not unless you can like do something for them, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, and again, it's like, there's ranges of difficult, right. There's kind of mm-hmm. the, like, I guess if, if we were to, um, you know, there's all those Buzzfeed quizzes out there that are like, which Harry Potter character are you? And, you know, yeah. you, you're, you're a Hermione or you're a Harry. So, you know, I think so far we've talked about two kinds of difficult. We've got the Ova or Ove, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the, the old widower man who maybe has a heart of gold and a story mm-hmm. to tell. Right. And then, and then we've got the Karen they typically kind of make life difficult for other people. Um, and the world revolves around them and, uh, and they typically don't have a lot of empathy and are not very accepting of those people outside of what they deem a worthy person. So, mm-hmm. th- so far we've got our Ovas and we've got our Karens. And those people may or may not be characters in your own family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the one of the difficulties about difficult people in your family, and here again, each of us are probably the difficult person to somebody else, <laughs> and we can we can um, we can play musical chairs on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one of the differences with family, at least for a lot of us, is that we try not to walk away from each other. Um, right, so we right. we keep circling back to each other. You know, even if it's just every Christmas or every Thanksgiving or whatever it might be. Um, and those are, and usually those difficult relationships are the most heartbreaking for us. I mean, even mm-hmm. even the person who says, yeah, I haven't I haven't talked to my dad in probably 10 years. But you know what? I don't really care. 
-hmm. I so don't believe that person. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can, I can understand that maybe they have said, I just have to accept that this is the way it is. But mm -hmm. nobody really wants that to be the kind of relationship that they have with their parent. You know, right. it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Or a sibling or, you know, right. anything like that. I mean, you know, I think there's a big difference between someone actually meaning that, like that they are, that, that, that they are happy to be in a certain position, but then there's also that self-preservation aspect of, I've uh -huh. just kind of had to accept it because if I think about it too much, I go to a dark place, you know, right. and, um, people can say till the cows come home, like, oh, you know, it's, it's, I'm better off without them in my life or I'm, uh -huh. or I'm better off not including them in this part of my life. But, you know, nobody wants to have to plan certain family events around who's going to be there or mm -hmm. you know, have to ask, are you going to come if so-and-so is there, or are you comfortable coming to this event? If this is going to happen, you know, nobody wants to do that. Every, everybody wants the sitcom family where, right. you know, everyone gets along and supports each other and, and all, you know, everybody that I'm, I'm on a modern family kick in terms of kind of what I'm binge watching right now. And yes. I just, I just love that show so much because, you know, it's always this like funny antics and people getting pissed off at each other. But then, you know, every episode they kind of come back together and, you know, it's kind of these, these three generations, these, these three families, um, you know, that are all kind of one and, and they just kind of make it work. You know, everybody wants that, you know, and, right. uh, and it takes a lot more work, I think, than we're sometimes willing to admit. It takes, yes. I think um, in dealing with difficult people, be it us or somebody else, um, lots of patience, which a lot of us don't have. You know, if things don't get resolved within, you know, 10 minutes or this week, um, it's like we're done. And yeah. that's just not, that's just not reality. And, you know, sometimes forgiveness takes generations. Uh, I'd like to share a story of um, how, I don't want to say managed, but I don't know how else to say it, how I managed um, the old curmudgeon in my congregation once upon a time um, that, that I think has some interesting lessons in it. Not that it would work every time um, mm -hmm. with everybody. But at this point in the 90s, I was probably in my 30s, um, you know, maybe 38 at the most. Mm -hmm. And he was probably early 80s. So mm -hmm. that's that's quite a jump. But so his name was John and he's long deceased now, um, as is his wife. So I don't you know, I don't mind kind of um, telling his story, which a lot of people knew, but he was, he was just one of those guys that there was like a dark cloud over his head all the time. Yeah. Like the old and, commercial. Yeah. Yeah. So all the time, um, he was the definite Debbie Downer. Um, but, and he was, um, our head usher. So you got to see that grumpy face every time you came into church. He was also um, he was also vice president of our congregation, mm -hmm. and his term on council was almost up. 
And so, but he was, you know, he was hoping to stand for re-election. Sometimes the grumps are the most involved, which is always, which is always a a bit of a mystery to me. Like you seem to hate it. Why don't you just come and worship with us? (laughs) Right. Um, And the other thing that was just so strange is that he had this habit of apparently getting upset at someone and like the pastor. Mm -hmm. And so one time um, toward the end of this time (laughs) together, I noticed that he was doing that thing to me that he does when he's letting you know that he's mad at you, Mm -hmm. which it was to totally give you the cold shoulder. Mm-hmm. So you say, good morning, John. And he just about sticks his nose up in the air and just brushes past you. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, usually um, my experience with him was that after several days, a week at the most, he would, he would mosey in to church when he knew I was going to be there. And he would sit down and tell me what he was mad about. And that was good of him. It was. And then he would sort of get it out of his system and then we could go on from there. Right. Well, one time uh, he went six weeks doing this to me. Whoa. And um, I was just about ready to call time on that behavior. Mm-hmm. but he came into my office instead. And he says, well, you probably noticed that, um, that I've been mad at you or something like that. And I said, yes. And why? I mean, I had, I had thought of everything I could think of. Maybe it was this, maybe mm-hmm. it was that I was totally wrong on everything. Mm-hmm. So I said, why, why have you been so upset at me? And he said, well, I saw the way that you looked at me at the Lutheran men and mission meeting. Say what? what do you mean? The, the way I looked at you? Yeah. Well, so, you know, so easily triggered. Right? Easily triggered is a huge defi- defining uh, <laughs> yes. characteristic of any grump. Ova's That's parents, right. Right. Easily e- triggered. Easily triggered. Big. Yeah. Easily triggered. So, um, Make a long story short, I basically thought that we had had enough of that behavior. Yeah. Which was a dangerous thing to do because mm-hmm. this guy had been part of this congregation for a long time. A lot of people considered him to be their friend. Uh huh. And so I talked to my mutual ministry committee about it, which is the sort of pastor parish relationship committee. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I told them, I said, uh, I can't believe I was this bold, um, actually. But I said, here's what I think I'd like to do with him to help. Because whatever it is, I mean, I felt like the guy was definitely suffering from depression. Yeah. And he just couldn't get out of it. Mm-hmm. I said, I think that um, I need to sit down and talk to him along with the head of this committee mm-hmm. and with his wife, because I didn't want him to be alone in the conversation. Right. He needed an ally. Right. He needed an ally. And I didn't want him going home and reporting to her what was said because it might not be accurate. Yeah. You know, yeah. it would be through, it would be through his lens. 
But I said, he needs to not be, he needs to um, take a sabbatical from being our head usher because he gives a bad impression of our congregation to people Mm. who are visiting. Yeah. I think we need to tell him that he will not be eligible to run for another term on council and that he needs to um, just take a sabbatical from those kinds of things. He dearly loved Lutheran men in mission. Mm -hmm. I said, let him continue to be the head of that. Yeah. Um, But the other thing that I did was I found a therapist in town. This was before we met with him. I found a therapist in town. I described the situation. I said, I'd really like to be able to refer him uh, to a therapist at this meeting that Mm -hmm. I'm planning to have with him. Would you be willing that afternoon to see him if he calls you? thinking he wouldn't, you know? Right. Yeah. And so the therapist said, Dr. Phillips said, yes, I'll, I'll do that. So I was, I was scared to death to have this meeting because as sad as John always was, his wife was always mad. Mm -hmm. So he was the sad one. She was always the mad one. Right. And I knew that she would be totally ticked off. There was a possibility they would both leave the congregation. Mm-hmm. I could perhaps have a bunch of people at church really mad at me. So anyway, we had this meeting laid out. You know, I said, as far as I, as, you know, I can tell you really seem to be dealing with some depression issues. They're affecting mm-hmm. how you perform at church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, you know, no, you cannot run for council. You need to take a sabbatical from being an usher at the church. And then I had written down the therapist's name and phone number. And I said, this therapist is willing um, for you to call him this afternoon and Mm -hmm. he will see you. Well, they, you know, as I figured, she, the wife left totally pissed off. Yeah. John was just sad and brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. And so I had no idea where all that was going to go. Yeah. As it turned out, by golly, he called that therapist that afternoon. Nice. And they saw each other for years. Wow. And um, they both did end up leaving the congregation. Mm-hmm. But he remained head of Luther Men and Mission, you know, <laughs> even even after he left. Yeah. Um, and he avoided me for a really long time because he knew Monday was my day off. So he would sneak into church on Monday and pick up a bulletin. Oh, geez. And but then eventually. He started to come in and talk to me again. And then I thought, well, what's the congregation going to think? And um, I remember this one woman who was a nurse in the congregation. She came up to me and she said, thank you for caring about the health of our congregation. Wow. You know, and I know that kind of stuff won't happen every single time. But, um, you know, I keep reminding myself about that, that, um, you know, you can do risky things. Um, yeah, for the, I mean, those were some know, big risks for sure. Those were big you, risks, but if you, you know, 
I did it not because I wanted to hurt him, but because I, I loved the congregation and I loved him, even though he was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, super hard um, to be around. But by the end of it, you know, shortly before I left that congregation, he and I were having lunch with each other on a regular basis, and yeah. he was yeah. still seeing Dr. Phillips. So that's just um, kind of amazing. Do you have a story of dealing with somebody who was difficult that either went well or didn't? Yes and no. I mean, my, my grouping of experiences kind of don't, don't always uh, necessarily pertain to ministry every time since I've only been um, at least ordained for two years. But I, I do think um, I definitely had a, a very difficult situation with um, someone who kind of was a difficult person within this situation. So when I was teaching in Atlanta, when I was still an athletic trainer, um, the the principal who hired me at this high school um, was so jazzed about adding the sports medicine curriculum um, mm-hmm. for to have that medical coverage for the athletes, uh, you know, in in the in in the practice and in games and all of that. It wasn't something that high school had or a lot of the high schools in that area had. Um, and so, but in order for the county board to really go for hiring me full time, I had to also teach. Well, I had no education background whatsoever, no teaching certification. Um, and I got hired under the impression that I would basically have like a couple classes basically to, Mm. you know, um, to, to be in charge of, you know, for the first part of the day. And then, but the, the bulk of my work would be after school during all the athletic activities. Kind of sounds like a setup for failure, total setup for failure, total setup for failure, because the, the head of the healthcare sciences department, which at this high school, the CTE, the career and technical education program was huge. There was a healthcare track. There was a business track. There was an AV tech track. So it it started off as kind of job training for students that they thought might not go to college and might start going into the workforce right after graduation, but it kind of became like the AP program, right? Like some of the really, really um, motivated students got into like the health sciences track because they wanted to go to med school or they wanted to go to nursing school or whatever. So they brought in the sports medicine track in their minds to attract more male students because it was a very like female heavy track and they wanted to kind of make it more interesting. Well, and I did, and I did have quite a few uh, male students at first, but then they realized sports medicine was basically pre-med anatomy and they dropped my Mm -hmm. class pretty quick. Like, we're not just going to talk about sports all day. (laughs) Medicine is the biggest chunk of that description people. Um, So, so anyway, uh, Typical me making a story longer. Or they wanted to yeah throw the football. Yeah, exactly. So, so the the head of um of the healthcare science department, well, you know, his name was Mark, and um he was like thirty years deep into his career at Mm. this specific high school, like he was a healthcare science legend 
in the Georgia education system. I mean, everyone knew who this guy was. You know, he he had been um, a flight paramedic before he went into teaching. So he had a, 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 an incredible amount of, um, you know, experience in that field. And he was the EMT track teacher. And so he was not thrilled with this plan that I would teach just a handful of classes and then be the athletic trainer. He told me, many, many times you're here to teach athletic training is the secondary part of your job. You need to be dedicated to the, the academic portion. And so this guy who really could have been an incredible mentor to me just kind of saw me as a pawn in his Mm. chess game with administration. And so it became this like tightrope for me of well, the principal is telling me I can use my teaching budget to stock the athletic training room, but then my direct administ, like my my department head, is pissed that's part of his budget, which is you know because our our budgets were his budgets, was going towards buying tape and coolers and stuff for the football program. So, as a person, Mark was, was great. I mean, he cared so much about these students, about these programs. Um, you know, the, the students spoke highly of him, you know, colleagues did, he was kind of, you know, every school kind of has that one or two teachers that's been there for like decades. And everyone's just like, how have you lasted this long? Like you, right. Right. But, um, but for me, he made my life in those two years that I taught incredibly difficult because I was constantly stretched too thin. I did not have any teaching experience and no one was mentoring me. So I just constantly felt like I was failing because I didn't know what I was doing in the classroom. And then I wasn't getting the resources I needed to build the sports medicine program that they wanted. And I couldn't give the amount of time I wanted to. So the coaches all thought I was like half-assing it. And so- And, you know, and I don't really have a, here's how we ended it and everything's great because I just quit, (laughs) you know, and sometimes the answer is you just walk away, Yeah, you know, I think, and and in ministry that can be a little bit tougher, I think. Um, But I also feel like it shouldn't be. I think sometimes people believe pastors are um, like required to love everyone, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like, I'm not Jesus. (laughs) You know, I, I, I ain't Jesus. I'm just here to teach about Jesus and to try to try to emulate him in some way. But, you know, I I had a, when I worked um, as the area director at, at one of our Lutheran camps, there was a counselor that I just couldn't stand. I thought he was lazy and he, um, he was incompetent in a lot of ways, but the kids loved him. And so, um, and he, he never put any kids in danger at all. He's just, he was just stupid when he was hanging out with Mm. his counselor buddies. And I just remember the summer I came back and asking one of the directors, why in the world did you rehire this kid? And, and the director looked at me and said, aren't you becoming a pastor? Aren't you supposed to like, just love everybody? And I was like, not if they're bad at their job, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like, 
it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're like Christ-like in your ability to, to, to love difficult people, you know, all the time. It's like, I think we, we are called to be more patient, but mm-hmm. you know, in the way kind of, you know, you took those risks with John knowing full well, he would probably leave the congregation. Yeah. I couldn't imagine him staying after that. No. Yeah. But in the long run in John's life, that was a life altering conversation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was probably best for him in the long run. And, and there's definitely times, you know, in my current ministry situation where I do want to have some of those tough conversations with people. Like, is this really healthy for you to be mm-hmm. this deeply involved? Um, but I'm part of a team ministry. And sometimes that's not mm-hmm. how, you know, my co-pastor would handle it. And I trust his experience. You know, he, he also right. knows the congregation better than I do, but um you know, and I think I definitely get more of the cold shoulder when people are upset with me. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas my co-pastor then has to field all of the complaints. So like no one comes and talks to me when I am the difficult person in their life. Um, but, uh, but they certainly tell Stan, poor thing. <laughs> there was a time there where, where he kind of had a line out his office door of people that weren't happy with me because of certain things. And, um, but I, but I think we, we've kind of, we've kind of, uh, circled it back to a good place, but I wanted to ask you, so a lot of times when you're dealing with a difficult person, um, the, the advice people give the most, at least that I've heard. And I want to, mm-hmm. I want to get your opinion on, on how valid you think this advice is. And I hear it all the time. People just say, kill them with kindness. What are your thoughts, Mary? <laughs> um, that can go a short distance. Um, that doesn't go, that isn't, that's not a long haul solution. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if, if kill them with kindness means as opposed to slapping them upside the head, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at some point you either have to, I don't know, understand them and help mm-hmm. other people understand But you Mm -hmm. also have to, as I did with John, say enough is enough. Yeah. You know, this you're unhappy. You're making other people unhappy. Mm -hmm. Let's let's call time on this. And, um, you know, I I mean, he had been doing this for, you know, such a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, so people knew it and they they just, you know, kind of ignored it. You know, congregations, um, I can't, and maybe the same thing happens in various workplaces, but one of the things that, that congregations do is they will put up with bad behavior for an awful long time uh, because we're so afraid of, well, having what happened with John happen, where mm-hmm. you, you confront people with what they're doing and they get mad and they leave. Yeah. Or yeah. or they cause some other kind of trouble or or right. whatever it might be. And then you're but um you know, Jesus was very upfront with people as well. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, kind of would uh would would call things out and say, you know, why are you doing this or what is this really about? Or you're yeah. doing this just because you care about blah blah blah, not and not mm-hmm. this or that. And yeah, you know, so what does it mean to 
um, care for a whole community while at the same time caring for um, caring for individuals. And yeah. if if the health of the congregation and the community is really um, the top goal and the the top call, um, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm always amazed whenever we do the installation service for church, new church council people. Mm-hmm. And how incredibly broad and deep their um, their commitments and responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, nowhere in that does it say, um, you know, part of your role as a church council person is to make sure that we keep everybody happy. Right. <laughs> it does say part of your job is to um, maintain harmony within this congregation and mm-hmm. to see that, and then something like, and to see that um, that God's word is shared in this congregation, in this community, and in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, wowzers. <laughs> no pressure, people. I, and, you know, a lot of times I'll say, I'll, you know, because that's how it ends, and in the yeah. whole world. Yeah. So usually I'll look at those guys and I'll go, uh, yeah, I'll say something like, um, no pressure, or, woo, that's a lot. I know I did that too. (laughs) You just have to acknowledge that. I know. It's a lot, but it really is real. It is. I mean, and I did that um, when we installed folks in January, you know, even just reading it again myself, I was like, good God. It's like, (laughs) no, geez, Louise, like they're just expecting to, you know, like make a budget and, you know, kind of decide, decide if we move worship times. I don't really know if they realize what they're really signing up for or decide, should we have Lenten suppers this year (laughs) and should it be spaghetti or do we want to have fried chicken? I mean, you know, I know it's like salad or both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we even talked about um, at our council retreat a couple weekends ago, we talked a lot about what are the expectations? What does it mean to be a council member at Trinity Lutheran? Right. Because a lot of a lot of our folks, especially the younger ones who this is their first time on church council or really their first time being this involved in any part of the church's ministry besides just coming to church or making sure their kids get to Sunday school. You know, a lot of them were like, I didn't really realize just how much like like uh, on the one hand they felt like our meetings were just like we're just rubber stamping things that you know decisions that have already been made so it was interesting to hear them say like no we want to engage in the conversations more and like make more of these decisions but then it was also fascinating to dig into like okay well you know council members need to show up to to church events and and try to be mm-hmm. here as regularly as possible on Sundays and and mm-hmm. so it was really kind of cool and fascinating to to dive into the expectations of that leadership role and how it's not just this like symbolic rubber stamp it's it's right. really it's it's really kind of setting an example and and all of that and and you know something i was thinking about you know while you were talking a couple minutes ago was you know, when, for, for some reason, and I've heard you and dad say this, you know, my whole life, people just seem to be comfortable behaving their worst at church, mm. which you, which you would think would not be the case, but it's almost like you're meaner to your family because you know, they won't leave you or, you know, yeah. like, you know, 
sometimes you take things out on your best friend or on your partner because it's like, mm-hmm. well, they love me unconditionally. So I'm just going to be a jerk, you know? And I think, I think sometimes we experience that at church and, and, you know, there, there does have to have to come a time when either the pastor or church leadership kind of says enough is enough. And that mm-hmm. was a lot easier to do when folks needed the church more than the church needed them. When we're making tough decisions, when we're, you know, going to do something that might ruffle some feathers, you know, we almost have to think, um, how is this going to affect us financially? Or how is this going to affect us volunteer wise? Or, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes, at least for me, I, 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 I wish there was a little more gumption um, in church leadership across the board to not just kind of not stand for that kind of behavior. Cause it's really inappropriate. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's especially tricky, um, you know, especially in, in a denomination mm-hmm. um, like, especially in a Lutheran denomination down South where Lutherans are, you know, not plentiful. Right. Uh, We're a minority. Yeah. Where it's just kind of like, okay, you know, I, I'm really not cool with how this person is behaving, but they're a dedicated member and, you know, how do you kind of, how do you kind of, yeah, but what is, I mean, but what does dedicated member mean? Right. You know, I mean, it's to me, uh, you don't deserve that. (laughs) You don't deserve that title Mm -hmm. if you're dedicated because you always get your way. Exactly. I mean, I think part of being in a community like a faith community is that you have to realize that none of us gets our way a hundred percent of the time. It's that give and take. And I say to people, you know, who are maybe thinking about leaving the congregation or whatever it is, and, you know, just kind of unhappy with this and unhappy with that. And I'll often say that very thing, you know, in this community, none of us gets our way 100% of the time. I don't, Mm -hmm. as a pastor, there are things I wish were different. Mm -hmm. Um, There are ways I wish we were worshiping certain ways that we're not, but it's not totally up to me to change all that. But I'll say, um, but if you feel like things never go your way, Mm -hmm. then you will not have any joy in this place. And so, yeah, maybe you do need to look for a congregation where you can, where you can faithfully worship, faithfully serve and have your joy restored. I mean, that's, that's what I hope for people. No, me too. I mean, I, I'm a little bit more willing to, I guess the, the only way to put this is to kind of cut people loose if they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're, if they don't feel like they're getting what they need from, Mm -hmm. from the work, from the worship experience I'm helping, I'm helping to provide, you know, I mean, we had, we had a few people leave in the last couple of years and, and both me and, and my co-pastor decided, you know, well, they probably should have moved on to that other kind of congregation a while ago. And, and we're mm-hmm. happy for them if, if they're feeling fulfilled there, you know, and, yeah, and, you, you know, bless I think, them on their way. Exactly. And I think, um, <laughs> Colleen sent us a funny meme recently that she had found that basically said, being a pastor is the only job where people who don't like you get mad at you for not visiting them. <laughs> <laughs> and hot dang, if they, if that ain't the truth, <laughs> I mean, we, we, yeah, this is a, this is a kind of funny. So there was a couple that I think kind of had one foot out the door even before I got here, but 
um, they really were not happy with me. Um, mm. you know, they, they thought my preaching was too liberal. Um, I think in general, they weren't really on board with, with women being pastors. Um, you know, uh, the guy, the gen or the gentleman in this couple, um, you know, led one of our committees and every time Stan and I were both there, he would, he would only address Stan as the pastor. He never really mm -hmm. acknowledged me. Um, or he would, you know, kind of, he would call me Elise and Stan, you know, pastor, pastor Stan, you know, mm -hmm. only, only, only he had that title. And, um, you know, they kind of, they started to scale back at first, they kind of stopped giving as much. And then they only gave on Sundays that Stan preached. And then they <laughs> kind of so amazing. <laughs> I know. And then they kind of, well, just... it is so strategic. I mean, that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a big, that's a big plan. You got to keep up with. Oh, I know. And then they stopped giving completely. Um, and then they were mad that no one asked them why they weren't giving anymore. Um, which is something like as pastors, we don't see, right. Like, you know, at least at our church, our church secretary or church administrator and our treasurer and our bookkeeper mm -hmm. are the only people that see what name is on what check. So right. unless our treasurer says, Hey, we've been getting monthly payments from family. So-and-so for years and now they're not giving maybe mm -hmm, check in mm -hmm. on them we don't know we don't know what's going into the offering plate well and hopefully offer. they would do that yeah exactly because a lot of times that is the first thing someone will do to show their unhappiness with right. that's church. the way to hurt you right right or or any organization right well i'm just not going to give my money to those people right, um right. but they were big enough givers and they had been there for long enough that we did have some members that really wanted stan and i to like really try to to kind of see what was up and and kind of get these people back and so i was out <laughs> You know, it was one of those things too, where I was like, well, how do I play this? Cause I know their issue is with me. So yes. I'm, kind of the, I'm kind of the last person they want to see darken their doorway. You know, I don't want to, I also don't want to send Stan to do my dirty work. Right. Or like, I should get to know these folks. Cause a lot of people who had issue with me just didn't know me very well. And so I've been making more of a conscious effort over the last few months to like, really, you know, even if it's just on Sunday, making sure I particularly talk to this one person. Right. Um, so this couple's pretty upset. They, they started kind of not showing up much anymore anyway. And, um, we have a, we have a great ministry at Trinity called the God squad, which is primarily three women in the congregation who make little, little goodie bags. And they, over the course of like two weeks, they literally go visit every single household in our congregation. That's amazing. Like they drive around Chattanooga. They, there's some people that live an hour away and they go out to their places and they knock on their doors. And if they're home, great. They have a little, hi, how you doing? Catch up on the porch. If they're not home, they leave a bag, call them, leave a message. God squad visited you today. You know, that kind of thing. So I was with that. I was out with the God squad one day and I have a blast when I'm out there with these ladies, they are a hoot and a half. I mean, it's so funny. And so they, they warned me that we were going to this couple's house uh -huh. and, and, you know, these are three women that have their finger, you know, on the, on the pulse. So they're like, all right, are you got your game face on pastor release? You know, you ready kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, bring it on. Here we go. You know, I'm going to mm -hmm. charm the pants off these people. And, uh, so they sent me up to ring the doorbell and they were kind of, <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of behind me. Right. But kind of out of sight. Oh my gosh. It, it, 
was laughable. The look on their face when they saw me standing at their front door, they looked mortified. And nowhere to run. And nowhere to run. I mean, I'm standing there with this big old smile on my face and I'm like, morning. And they are both just like deadpan staring at me. Like what in the hell is she doing at our house? And then I'm like, I'm here with the God squad. And the three ladies like pop out from behind me. And then this couple just got the biggest smile on their faces. And I was just like, they were so, and at first I thought, okay, maybe I'm being sensitive. And like, you know, I thought I saw something I didn't, but then when we got back in the car, one of the women of the God squad, Mary, she turns to me and she goes, did you see the look on their face when they thought you were at their front door? (laughs) And I was like, and it was so good that they saw that. Exactly. You know, and so, and, and this couple has gone on to, to join another congregation that, that we're confident is kind of, you know, filling them up and, and, you know, and is a better fit for them anyway. And so, well, I mean, hooray, that's good. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's one of those things where ultimately as faith leaders, part of our job is almost a referral process of like, where can you find spiritual fulfillment? Is it here? Is it there? You know, is it on the trails every Sunday? Like, of course we want people to feel fulfilled by the environment we help create, but it's not always on us. And and sometimes it's just the, you know, not so much our specific theology or, or preaching, but it could be that they just don't, their personal beliefs don't line up with the beliefs of the ELCA anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, once, once they find out like, oh, as a, as a countrywide denomination, we're cool with women pastors. All right. I'm out. Like, that's right. I, you know, I can't be a part of this anymore. And sure enough, that couple did go to, to a Missouri Senate congregation and they're much happier mm-hmm. and, you know, um, and, and Missouri Senate folks tend, tend to be a little more on the conservative side anyway, both, you know, liturgically and, and politically. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, so, so that was just kind of one of those difficult people where it was like, all right, the best option here is mm-hmm. to just walk away. I think <laughs> like, right, right. They, they really don't want to see me. It works for everybody. So. And I think one of the things that can be tough is that, um, you know, whenever we're dealing with people that we don't get along with or difficult people, however we might describe that, at least as pastors, um, you take it so personally. Mm-hmm. Like It's it, hard not to. It's hard not to. I mean, it sort of physically hurts you. I mean, you can have a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful week, and then that difficult person either gives you the cold shoulder or says something to you. Mm-hmm. And now you feel just super bad. Yeah. And it's, and, and I think- there's nothing, you know, there's nothing you can really do about it. Cause a lot of times it's not personal, but we always assume mm-hmm. it is. I mean, that person has to really, really demonstrate to us oh, that, yeah. that it's not about us. And I always struggle when, you know, other people in the congregation say, oh, don't, don't worry about him saying that he says that to everybody. It helps a little bit, but not also it doesn't. I mean, you know, when I, when I kind of noticed, you know, with this, this, the, the gentleman and this couple I was referring to when I kind of noticed how he, you know, does never really referred to me as pastor. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned it to Stan and I, and, and Stan kind of said, well, he kind of did that to the last associate too, um, who was a man. 
And so it's like, I don't really, I don't really think it's a sexism thing, but in my head, I'm like, that wasn't really acceptable either because that's belittling the position. And, and, you know, so clearly he does not respect the, the second pastor's position or, or, Mm -hmm. or pastoral authority anyway, you know, and I think, and that, and that could be because who knows, it could be because he did. He didn't think that the church should be spending money on a second pastor. Oh, it could have been so many. You things. know, yeah. right? Yeah. So many things. It's not about. It really, isn't about you. But it always right. feels I mean, like it. It always does. And and we 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 do t- t- tend to take things really personally. I mean, and I think right now, you know, the world in general is so stressed out. People's fuses are just a lot shorter. I mean, everyone is mm-hmm. angry. Everyone, is, and so it's interesting where the path of least resistance comes through, you know, I, I think this is going to seem like a really weird analogy, but I promise I'll circle back. But mm-hmm. so when I was living in Oregon for my internship, um, I went to the lava caves. And so my only experience with caves uh, was East coast caves, which are just like grimy mud holes underground. And occasionally you come out into this really incredible cavern and, and it's made by water. And so it kind of just like is kind of random and all these different things. And so then going to the lava caves, you know, when you walk in, mm-hmm. they are basic, it's, it kind of feels like walking in a subway. Like it's almost a uniform round shape. They're just these like straight tunnels because they were formed by lava flows during eruptions. And so- nice you know, one of the, one of the things that they kind of tell you when you kind of go to the mouth of the cave and read the little like fact plaque, you know, whatever is, you know, the lava flows through the path of least resistance. Mm. And so I feel like a lot of times people's difficulties, people's outbursts, um, they come out at church or they come out with family or they come out with whatever, because that's the path of least resistance. Right. So right. that, that, that lava flow of anger can just break right through that rock and make that mm-hmm. tunnel, you know, and there's not as many consequences, um, especially when you're, when you're kind of acting out in, in, in those areas. And so I think like, you know, that patience of what are you really mad about? Yeah. You know, I, I, I know you don't really hate me because of that sermon I just preached. What are you really mad about? Um, right. you know, a- asking that without kind of being condescending or dismissive, but, mm-hmm. and then I also kind of want people to remember that, you know, pastors, public figures, whatever, they're not your punching bag. <laughs> you know, if you truly have an issue with a pastor because of their preaching or because of something they said, like, just go to that person and talk to them. Like, or, you know, right. if, you, if you're, if you're having issues with somebody, just go talk to them. I mean, the amount of pastors that quit just because they just can't be a punching bag anymore, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes our position as figureheads in certain communities can be more of a thing than we think, especially in this time of COVID where a lot of our stuff is online. I mean, I had, I had a good handful of people that I'm two years into my ministry at Trinity and I'm just now meeting in person. Yeah. They feel like they, they feel like they they know know you yeah, because they've been watching me on the TV for the last two years. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of this weird 
phenomena where we 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 tend to take things out on on people um and easily forget that they too are you know human beings that you know cry on their Mm -hmm. mom's shoulder because (laughs) you know everyone's mad at me for (laughs) for something I have up on my office wall (laughs) you know (laughs) I'm gonna lose my job because of my 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 desire to have children you know it's just like that stuff cuts deep and it and it It lasts yeah and and, yeah and it causes you to kind of build up walls as a leader that you you don't want to be there but it's a vulnerable thing. You know, when your head usher mm-hmm. is so mad at you, he won't make eye contact and you're pretty sure he's the one that has been talking badly about you. That's a hard thing to be the bigger person about, you right. know? And, and I and think, you know, and I think you're right that, um, you know, and, and as church, yes, we want to be a compassionate community. Um, we want to, be a good, we want to be a place that Jesus would be proud of, (laughs) but that, you know, that doesn't mean that we should create a culture where you can say mean, disrespectful, nasty things to people Mm -hmm. and everybody's supposed to just go, well, that's Bill. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. That's just how Karen is. Yes. Uh, well, that might be normal behavior for him or her but that needs to be called on the carpet yeah and that can be done and that can be done in a loving way Um, oh yeah totally and so well um that's a that's a big conversation about about difficult people it Um, is god god bless us everyone (laughs) i know well so mom um yes just kind of as our closing here if you could give three like go-to pieces of advice for people who started listening to this episode, thinking I'm going to know how to deal with difficult people by the end of this, what, what, are, what are, kind of, yeah, <laughs> are you not entertained? Did we not do our that enough? <laughs> um, but uh, so kind of, kind of summarize for folks in your opinion, maybe from our conversation today or just your experience, what are kind of your three go-to, um, go-to moves? What can people put in their toolbox after, after, uh, switching over to their next podcast today? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, having courage, having professional courage is huge Mm -hmm. because I think, um, I will sometimes, laugh at people and, and say, Oh, um, Oh, don't say that to me. You know, we pastors are fragile creatures, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, <laughs> but um, we are. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> it, except it, unless you're one of those like total narcissistic jerk pastors, um, you know, we, we are pretty, we are pretty fragile. So I think my first thing would be don't take it personally, but do take it professionally. Ooh. And, and, you know, be the, uh, no. be the, be the professional loving pastor and do what, you know, the gospel of Matthew says, uh, number two here, take them aside one-on-one and mm-hmm. say, why did your hair catch on fire when this was brought up? Yeah. And, you know, and just ask them right out. Don't dance around it. There's a lot of dancing Mm -hmm. around that goes on. 
And then the other thing to know is that one conversation is not going to solve it. You know, Mm -hmm. I have fallen for that so many times where I thought, wow, you know, we had, I had this conflict with this person and then I went over to their house and we talked it out. So we're all good now. No, you're not. Maybe till no, next not. Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So no, just know that it's, you got to be in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And I guess I do have a fourth, which would be at some point, if a person is so difficult and cannot be managed, um, that they are damaging your wider community, they've got to go. They've got, they've got to go. And I don't mean, you know, sending them a letter that says you were excommunicated. Mm-hmm. Some pastors have done that. I would yeah. not suggest it. It no. doesn't go well. Really, doesn't. But I think having the conversation that just says, you seem so unhappy here. Mm-hmm. What, can, what can we do to help you have your joy restored? Yeah. Right. And just, and just ask them that question. And they may say, well, to have my joy restored, you know, I need church council to never do blah, 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 blah again. And you can just say that won't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not going to be reality. Yep. So wh- what's what's uh, step number two for having your joy restored? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess those are what's option B, you know, because some things that people say, well, this is what I need um, to make myself feel better or to make everything okay isn't something that you can do or should do. If people Mm -hmm. are mad at me because they don't like women as pastors, I cannot do anything about that. Nope. I can't. Yeah. Um, And the same thing for those pastors out there who are gay or lesbian and people to say, well, I'm just very, very against this and think you shouldn't be here. You know, you can't make yourself somebody that you're not. Right. And so they, they have to move on. If you're the call person there, yeah. Congregation has said, this, this is who we want here. And mm-hmm. so really, they're the ones that need to go and just don't let people be, be able to beat up on other members of the community yeah, exactly. or the whole church for decades. Yeah. You know, it's oh, crazy. I know. Crazy stuff. You know, I would say um, document, 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 <laughs> right? Cover your butt. Well, sometimes there could be a lawsuit. No. You know? But, but also, um, you know, approach with empathy, right? You know, I think if, um, I'm also a big believer in having other ears in the room, you know, kind of like you were saying, having John's wife there too. So if it does become kind of like a, we need to have a conversation about this, you know, making sure there are other people that can say, nope, that's not actually what happened, or that's not actually what we said, Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, the, and then, yeah, I think, um, I think you nailed it, mom. You, uh, mm-hmm. the, the wise and honorable Mary Anderson. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, this was, this was a good conversation and we've got some, uh, future plans for some upcoming episodes that we're also excited about that include some guests, uh, yeah. coming on with us. Yeah. And, you know, we, um, we, we kind of stopped, uh, kind of putting that out there, but if you have topics you want us to talk about, or if you feel like uh, you would like to share your story of ministry, um, on the, on the pod, um, shoot us an email at your on mute pod 
at gmail.com. That's all one word. No, no punctuation. You you're on mute pod at Gmail. Um, we'd love to hear from you or even just some feedback on how you think we're doing. Um, we're hoping to, uh, Oh, also, I just want to say happy black history month, everyone. Um, it is February and, 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 uh, we are hoping to kind of pull in some, some more voices and, and experiences. You know, we, we've said, uh, quite a few times we are, we are two uh, middle-class white straight women um, in, in heterosexual relationships. And I'm a millennial. My mom's a boomer. That's as diverse as we get. So, um, uh, so uh, we're, we're really wanting to, to, to shed light on some more stories. Um, so if, uh, if, if you'd like to share yours or, and don't mind answering a few questions, um, we'd love to have you on and, and we're going to be uh, reaching out to some people directly. So keep your phones on you, everybody. That's right. Answer our calls. Answer our calls, please. <laughs> I know it's an 803 area code, but I'm not a telemarketer, um, uh, despite right. what you may think. But uh, but no, it's uh, always great uh, to have these conversations with you, Mom. Yeah, um, same here. You know, um, on and off of recording. So appreciate you. And uh, and uh, just remember to rate, review, subscribe, share, share our podcast far and wide. I didn't mean to rhyme, but I just did. Um <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, yeah, we appreciate all your support and, uh, we hope you all have a great couple weeks of ministry. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.